Welcome to another episode of the Carnal Extremities Podcast, a podcast that pairs up an extreme movie offering with an extreme musical selection, most of the time in the realm of metal music. As always, I am one of your hosts, Raina, and with me is... I am your other host, Vanna. (gasps) Two weeks in a row, we're back. We We're, are so back. <laughs> we have never been more back, <laughs> as the kids would say it. And uh, feeling feeling pretty good? Question mark. How are we feeling? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm really excited that, like, I, I felt really bad that we uh took such a big break. Like, not, you know, not that we have like so many listeners, but we have. We have people who listen and, you know, I don't want anyone to, like, stop listening, you know, because we haven't posted or whatever. But, yeah, but I'm excited uh, to be back out there. Oh, I'm definitely excited to be back out there. I like to be loud and proud and in everyone's face. No, I'm kidding. Half of the time I just hide in the corner somewhere at public gatherings. But... This week is a particularly exciting week because we're covering one of my favorite films from 2023. I feel bad because my published like top 10, it didn't make that list, but it's a movie that I think about so much from last year. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of crazy to think about, um, so many good releases in 2023 like yeah we had a lot of uh a lot of flops as well but um yeah i think like my top lists always are very heavy on things that are released later in the year because they're just a little more fresh on the brain um yeah this one i almost forgot it came out in 2023 because 2023 felt like five years in one (laughs) so um yeah it's also it especially revisiting it i was like yeah this is definitely definitely top of 2023 well it kind of also has a little bit to do with last week's um coverage of crimes of the future uh obviously if you clicked on this episode you know what we're covering but one, it's a neon film, and two, it's a Cronenberg film, but we're covering something from Brandon Cronenberg, who I lovingly call Baby Cronenberg. I also often refer to him as Baby Cronenberg. Um, the other day, however, I was messaging a friend, and mm-hmm. I was like, I was uh, going on about how upsetting it is that he is often diminished to his relationship to David Cronenberg. Um, mm-hmm. That I was like, maybe I should stop calling him that he's, he's not just baby Cronenberg. He is his own man, his own artist. And then I started calling David Cronenberg, Papa Cronenberg instead. <laughs> okay. 
okay, so, you know, you got some criticisms of being relegated to your upbringing, your nepotism. Um, that's that's a real good segue into the movie we're covering today. Should I just introduce this and we just jump right into it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, the film we're covering this week is the one and only Infinity Pool, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, not Baby Cronenberg. The film was released on January 22nd, 2023. The film stars Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, and Cleopatra Coleman. The film tells the story of James and M. Foster enjoying an all-inclusive beach vacation in the fictional island of Latolka. But when a fatal accident exposes the resort's perverse subculture of hedonistic tourism, reckless violence and surreal horrors ensue. I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day. Let's mix things up a bit. You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon? I'm working on it. What do you do for money then? You married Rich. Well, <laughs> I actually came here looking for inspiration. Come on. Mr. James Foster, you have to come with us. Here, the punishment for any crime committed is death. What would you say? That's for a significant sum. We'll build a double to send in for your execution. your transformation. This is just a little game. But I can take some blood. Show me how strong you are. It's really disgusting. You could just sit there. And watch it happen. You know, James, do you worry they got the wrong man? Okay, Vanna, <clears throat> I know I always give it to you to kickstart this conversation, but I'm going to start it today. Uh, Infinity Pool fucking rocks. <laughs> I don't know how much more I can say it, like, put it bluntly. <laughs> no, yeah, I, uh, there's a lot going on here. Like, I don't even... My notes from when from watching this are just insane. There's just so much to pick apart. And I'm like so happy that we're covering this because I got to rewatch it. Like I hadn't actually rewatched it since my theater experience. Mm -hmm. So um so yeah, so, it's yeah. just uh great. So 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 before we dive into the, the weeds of it, we need to probably clarify 
which version we watched and our first experiences with it. I'll let you take the floor on this one first. Um, so yeah, I saw it in theaters, um, probably like, I think first week of February, um, very tragically have only seen the theatrical cut. Um, so yeah, I even rewatched it, uh, I rewatched it on Hulu since that's where, you know, neon films are typically housed, uh, again, the rated cut because the unrated is only available for rent. Um, yeah, I went with my boyfriend to the theater because he is a very, um, supportive, uh, partner who's very willing to be exposed to the weird things I like to watch. Um, he had never seen another Brandon Cronenberg film. Uh, so his reactions were very visceral, <laughs> um, to a, f a few scenes. Um, yeah, it was really good. It was so, um, there was just so much going on. I remember like immediately opening letterbox cause I'm one of those annoying people. Um, when we were leaving the theater and like trying to like write my review and log it and I just there was there's just so much I don't even think I gave it a rating I just like <laughs> was like I'm gonna have to process this for a while <laughs> oh a hundred percent it's like it's one of those movies that like really captivates you from the moment you first watch it. At least that's what I walked away from it. I know a few people that watch this one and they're like, oh, I wasn't really into it. But me, I was like hooked from like day one. Uh, I saw this one in kind of a special way. Uh, I was generously given a screener copy by uh, Neon right after Sundance. Was it in January? I think it was Sundance where it premiered. It I believe was, so. Yeah, it was like first half of January, Sundance, where it premiered, and uh, they reached out. They gave me a screener copy. I had no idea it was going to be the uncut version that played at festivals and international release. That's how I saw it. Um, I did see it release day in Arizona, saw the theatrical cut, and I own the uncut version which is what I watched for this pod recording. I own it on DVD from a Canadian Blu-ray copy imported from Diabolic DVD. Um, so I'm probably one of those few rare people that have seen the uncut version more than the theatrical version of it. Uh, I'm going to say straight up for listeners who don't know, the only differences are is the masturbation scene actually shows an erect penis and ejaculation. And I believe uh, the stabbing scene where they kill the first of James's clones has uh, a couple more shots of gore into it. But other than that, they're the same. They're the same film for the There's, most part. There are quite a few other differences. Like it doesn't add up a lot in screen time. Mm -hmm. But while I have not sat down to watch the unrated cut in its entirety because I have not rented it. I have seen every 
every um I've seen every like, skill of that erect penis. <laughs> every <laughs> I've seen every um yeah, like every still of what is different. Mm-hmm. Uh there's I don't remember what website, but there's a very generous website that lays it all out. <laughs> Movie censorship.com. Um, yeah, there's a the entire orgy scene is like recut. Um not oh. that it is so different, but the um there's a lot of like flashing images and those flashing images are what's different. Um oh. mostly mostly a little a few more uh like literal just like single shots of uh more genitals and and things uh-huh. like that. Um like specifically there's one where instead of I think it kind of shows Mia Goth's face looking weird. Like it's kind of morphing into one of those Eki masks. There's like a shot of a penis coming out of a vagina, like from the inside, not like intercourse, if that makes sense. No, it's like, and then it's the pullout game. No, it's like, the head is emerging from oh shit okay a yeah there's there's a lot of vulvas and, and just just like single still like single single stills like you would you might you wouldn't even really notice watching it uh-huh. that they are even if you watched both scenes you wouldn't even really notice it side by side but like seeing the stills of, of each moment gotcha. in that montage and the killing of the dog is much more uh graphic like okay. you don't really see much of like you see him smash his own face quite a bit um but in the uncut you kind of you really see like his face actually caved in and everything so um i own the r-rated version digitally but i've only like seen it once because Obviously, whenever I watch it, I just throw on the uncut Blu-ray. I should go back and rewatch that and see if I really notice those differences now that they're pointed out to me. Yeah, it's a it's again, it's like so small, like and they're they're just single frames that are mm-hmm. replaced. So it's like hard to notice unless you pause it like every like not even a second apart. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it doesn't necessarily change much of like anything of substance for the film. I think as far as like your any interpretation or yeah, it it doesn't lessen the film. I think really, except that I'm a weirdo and I want the pee pee cut. Like I <laughs> the pee pee cut. I, I <laughs> that's how we affectionately referred to it. Um, uh-huh. you know, because I. I just think we should be allowed to see, like, only in the United States was it cut no, to like, be yeah, R. Literally, li- literally, because uh, the Blu-ray I have is Canadian, and it's got it. Yeah, a- an interview with Brandon Cronenberg, he was explaining that, like, what we consider NC-17 is equivalent to, like, Canada's, like, R. It's not like called R, but like their equivalent of what you would typically go to the theater for R is like what translates so, to our NC-17. 
So, I'm, I'm so sure that's the theatrical I'm, cut I, for Canada. <laughs> I, I, I may, I may be wrong, but there's two. Both versions are available in Canada, um, because because the cover of my Blu-ray even says Infinity Pool Uncut. So I believe the theatrical was released there as like rated R fifteen, which is like ages fifteen and up. And then the uncut was also yeah. released there as like R eighteen, eighteen and up. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just one of those things where like it can still go to a theater, but there are mm-hmm. like they ha- they just have more, I think, more um categories. And ours is just like you're a child or an you're an adult. And then if you're a freak, you have to rent things online. So, <laughs> like, it- yeah. <laughs> well, also, it, it, people have been de- debating for years that there needs to be something in between PG-13 or R for stuff that's rated R that doesn't necessarily need to be. Like, um, prime example right off the top of my head, uh, the A24 film, 8th uh, grade. Like, that was rated R, but for what? For language? I guess like it, it should Yeah, cuz I think that's how R. it kind of is. Yeah, in other places where they have like 15 and then 18 plus. Yeah. Um plus I don't know, everything about the rating system is just not ideal. It's so, just so archaic. <laughs> yeah, and Infinity Pool is one of those movies that was recut due to the MPAA. I'm I th- if I remember correctly, uh Cronenberg talked about in interviews how he had to adjust like you said like I guess I I guess I didn't know that that he'd said he had to cut things in a different way it's not necessarily a censorship he's just kind of cutting around the MPAA Yeah it's like you can show penises you just can't show them as they are actively ejaculating but you can show a penis and then you can show ejaculation you know it's just like you have to cut things in a very specific we 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 can't way show, i don't know we can't show vulvas and penises coming out of them but we can show me a goth's face question mark <laughs> yeah i don't yeah you can see like fully naked women all the time but you can't see i don't know uh, the ratings Get them out of here. <laughs> Get them out. Get them gone. <laughs> uh, it's, I don't know. Um, so aside from that big ass detour we did, um, this is this is a really good fucking movie. Um, Cronenberg. I I don't. This is a hot take because some people got mad at me online when I said it. He makes less horror films and more films about cyberpunk dystopian like landscapes. Like all his all of his films to me fit in that cyberpunk category, like Antiviral, Possessor, Infinity Pool. They're all about this technology and what inherently evil people will do with it. Yeah, it's interesting because there are so many like sci-fi um like thrillers and like dystopian things that i think we as horror fans like adopt into like horror canon but like technically it's not really horror 
Or I think the thing is, is that he like uses body horror as like a language to discuss mm-hmm. like things that aren't necessarily horror. Um, but because there is like gore and and things like that, like people want to accept it into horror. Um, but yeah, he's not. It's not straight cut, and even like. David Cronenberg isn't necessarily as straight cut of a horror director either. Um, I like dystopian, like there's this very like otherworldly, but it's also like, it's surreal because it's very grounded in the reality that we live in. Um, Yeah, technology is always something that's like such a big role in like all three of his films so far. And it's and it's super intentional, I believe. I mean, just look at how technology is getting out of hand now. Elon Musk, it, it like implanted a Neuralink in somebody's brain this last week, and we're all just kind of super chill about it. And that's kind of frightening. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think something that I find really interesting about his movies is. They are all very personal, uh-huh. I think. Um, maybe antiviral, maybe less so, but I know Possessor uh, is something that he's stated as something based on like very real feelings he was working through in regards to like his identity and like kind of, I don't want to say fame, but like attention you know, through, like, doing press cycles with antiviral and things like that. And then Infinity Pool is, like, this is this is just about him. Like, this yeah. is... Uh, James is a stand-in for Cronenberg, for Brandon himself. I, it's all about, like, failure and nepotism, and it, it's, uh, you know, both he and... Uh, Alexander Skarsgård are Nepo babies, so I think that casting was a very intentional choice. Um, yeah, I think, like, one of the first scenes, uh, Mia Goth's character, Gabby, talks about her job, like, specializing in failing naturally, and uh, then immediately turns the conversation to how she's been waiting six years for his second book. Like, She's very much poking at his failure and like he wrote this on the set of Possessor, which was entering production like just over six years after antiviral. If I did my math right. So it's almost like he's very much poking at the fact oh, that like he, he did that. something. <laughs> yeah. So like antiviral was like 2012 and like yeah. uh just around 2018 is when Possessor was going into production and in an interview he was talking about how he was writing Infinity Pool while they were like shooting Possessor so I think a lot of my reading of Infinity Pool is like about how he feels about his career like between antiviral to Possessor (laughs) so yeah that little detail I was like "Ooh, that's six years I as soon as she's like she said I've been waiting six years for your second book. I I like Google. When did I antiviral come out? <laughs> like when did Possessor come oh, out or enter production? Because 
That's real Yeah, good. I was like, that's so, like, on the nose. And then even the, the uh, review she reads of his book, uh, more towards the finale of the film, is, like, very close to a lot of the criticisms I've seen of his previous films. So I think that's another point where he's he's kind of working out his feelings on how people feel about him um, as an artist and as a Nepo baby and how he's like trying to carve out a career for himself, but all he ever gets, you know, called is Cronenberg's son or, you know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of sad. James, but probably cathartic for him. <laughs> James Foster is 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 more so like even even more so a stand-in for Cronenberg himself, where he's a writer that basically is a writer because he's married to the publisher's daughter, like in a way that many on the outside would view Cronenberg as a filmmaker because of who his father is. It's those themes of nepotism rooted deep in the core and it's and it's Brandon like looking at himself and going like, yeah, this might be fucked up that that I have this career, that I'm awarded all this stuff, that I have these opportunities. But I'm going to make something that's going to recognize that at the same time. Yeah, like so the review she reads, I have it. I have it all typed out because I was like, I need to remember this. The review um, of his book is seeming to recognize his own lack of talent. Newcomer James W. Foster overcompensates with pretension, failed posturing that only serves to emphasize how truly terrible this debut really is. Sheath is a book that has nothing to say and lacks the words to say it. One can't help but wonder whether its very existence is owed to Foster's powerful father-in-law. And... I did the digging to you did find not some find me any viral review like that. I found I it not all in one, but I found a handful of antiviral oh critic critic <laughs> reviews, one being as pretentious as it is boring. So, and I've seen pretension used quite a few times mm-hmm. in regards to him. Uh, high on style, even if it's conspicuously low on ideas. Um, the film owes way too much to David Cronenberg. And another one, low rent Cronenberg pastiche. Oof. That is so, that is so mean. And I've seen a lot of the same things said about Possessor. Um, I didn't necessarily go through some of those reviews because, you know, like if he was writing the script and writing out this review for his Cronenberg stand-in um, that it would make sense that it's kind of fueled by the reviews he was had gotten for, for antiviral and I'm like first of all these people are all wrong but it's but it's just like interesting that like yes he does work with like it's almost like a Cronenberg language. Like he learned how to um, 
explore ideas through the same means as his dad, like with being so body horror heavy, but it's like just because his name is Cronenberg, everyone is like just saying he's like a Cronenberg ripoff. And it's like, it's that's just so reductive. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, because Brandon's films are, I think, almost nothing like his father's. Like, what? There's gore? That's it? Like, I don't. I think, like, flesh, fleshiness, like, antiviral has a lot of, like, flesh. And, like, he's very into his practical effects. He does his, you know, Cronenberg, David Cronenberg has a lot of sci-fi thriller, um, like, alternate reality type films. Mm -hmm. But, so it's, like, any director who likes body horror and likes sci-fi is going to be influenced by David Cronenberg. Uh Uh-huh. But not every director doing body horror gets David Cronenberg thrown at them as an insult. Like, it's, like, almost just so, like... And, yes, he like I said, he's, like, using the language of body horror. And he's, like, has these elements that are what we would call Cronenbergian. But the themes and the some of the ideas he's exploring are so different. Like... Yeah, that's where that's where I totally walk away with with Brandon's yeah. films. I walk away with a totally different message than anything his father's ever explored, uh, and especially Infinity Pool is one of those movies where I walk out of it and I'm like, no, Brandon's making a name for himself, and he fucking wants you to know it. Yeah, this is so like this film is so interesting because it's not like what really stood out to me this time because obviously. On my first watch, I was thinking a lot about, um, you know, that argument, like about like nepotism. And I was thinking a lot about James as like an author and his feelings of failure. Um, Like that was very evident in the theater. But then on the rewatch, I was like, this is a full blown (laughs) like story about ego death and Mm -hmm. like exploring like thanatos like the death drive like the the doubles the this whole tourism initiative that this country has like Mm -hmm. to uh like create a double as a surrogate for like their punishment which is interesting because it's like on a psychological level like what is that doing to a person like to watch themselves die? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like this whole idea of like, you know, when we talk about like ego death and um, there's a lot of like mythology or like stories, like fables, myths, like fairy tales that kind of use a like, like a template which like in a way is like almost like symbolic of like the concept of ego death like thinking about like something like Dante's Inferno where like the false self has to be surrendered in order for a true self to emerge and things like that it's like this is all about him killing repeatedly killing a false self in order to like find a true sense of self like James doesn't really have 
like a strong hold on his own identity. Like he's he's like lets himself be defined by his marriage to M and his father-in-law. And then he lets himself just be like hijacked by Gabby and like, you know, their debaucherous activities. Um, but like in the end, he like literally kills himself and is like born anew in a way. It's just so, I don't know. That's not, <laughs> that's not the typical uh, David Cronenberg theme to me. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. It's just so interesting. I want to, I want to shed a little spotlight, share a little of the spotlight that we're shedding on Brandon Cronenberg and, and Alexander Skarsgård over to my favorite performance in the movie, Mia Goth. <laughs> oh that, my gosh. Yeah. A movie that let her use her natural voice. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's like the most interesting. One of the most interesting things about her character is that it's like almost off putting to hear her actual voice and accent. Like, she speaks like it's... a Victorian ghost. <laughs> yeah, she's so good. Like, I love her performance in Pearl, but like the line delivery on some of her moments or like that um the bus like hold up where she's like trying to get James out of the bus that's just it's like she's so iconic like uh wow yeah she's so good she's like haunting in this oh absolutely and the fact that it's like he's there with Cleopatra Coleman one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen and he just is like yeah Go back to America. I'm going to hang around with the psychotic Mia Goth and she's going to take me to orgies. <laughs> she's going to let me piss on people. Ooh, that's another thing I love about this movie is the amount of body fluids in it. Like, there's vomit, there's spit, semen, piss. Like, ah, chef's kiss to the body fluid amount. It's a lot. There's a couple moments that really, uh, like, got two people i think like like in the theater like the ews and uh like the the visceral reactions like one of those being like james essentially like breastfeeding like yes. the way he like just starts sucking <laughs> on gabby's breast it's like people were not ready the people were not ready for that it's 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 such a wild like to save that for like near the ending is pretty good. But again, I think that's that's what like plays into my reading of like Thanatos because it's like this whole concept kind of like like he's literally retreating to the womb because if we think of ego death as like killing a false self for the true self to emerge and like all of this is about like the cycle of killing your double like he killed the old James and now he's like reborn in a sense like this is the true James now so it would make sense that he's like kind of like a newborn like this is a he, he's now like 
brought forth into this world. So, of course, he's going to, like, retreat to the mother in a way. And it's, like, very much a play on the, um, like, the fantasy of retreating to the womb. Like, the psychoanalytic idea of, like, the death drive being... Okay, this is a lot to unpack. So, no, so no, hold on. You're, you're cooking. You're cooking. <laughs> but um, you know, every everyone knows Freud. Everyone, everyone's a big fan of uh of Freud and his weird obsession with wanting to fuck our moms and and things like that. But um, but like one of his most interesting concepts, like because we have eros, which is like our sex drive or our life drive or our will to live, like humans first and foremost want to survive and continue on and that's why we procreate and you know and and things like that but like he thought it was really interesting that we also have a death drive which like first um auto rank wrote this book the trauma of birth which basically cites the first experience of trauma or anxiety to be the, our separation from our mother at birth. Um, he meant it in a, in a much more literal way, um, which Freud was like, uh, yeah, I don't think babies are literally traumatized, but like from being taken away from their mother when they are born into the world. But he loved this idea of like that the world is so stressful. Um, that we are so discontent with our lives and having to like live in a society that inhibits us from acting on our true urges or the fact that we even developed a superego to self-police our own urges and that like we practice Thanatos, the death drive, that we also have this want um, to destroy ourselves, which... Some people will relate that to sadism or to, or not sadism, masochism, or to like self-destructive behavior. Like when you can't deal with the pressures of life, you engage in behavior that harms yourself. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of turns into this idea that like life is so hard that we want to return to a state of not being, of like symbolic womb to say. So like... James is so disappointed with himself. He has so much self-hatred and he can't figure out how to come up with his next book that he just retreats to a more primitive state or like an embryonic state. Um, he is now like a baby reborn into the world and now he can like start over. Um, it's so interesting. And I also think like Infinity Pool, like I know there are infinity pools and we, you know, that's like, there's one reading of like why that's the title. But I also think of like that pool that like we see the first double come out of. Um, he's like in the, it's like, he's like suspended in this fluid and then it like wakes up that it's almost like this like doubling process is like an infinite cycle of returning back to a pool of amniotic fluid of like returning back to the womb like 
we want to keep starting over and de-stressing from the reality of life by doing all this fucked up stuff and then just being able to double ourselves and not deal with the consequences. And it's a, it's, yeah, it's just so, there's so much going on here that is so, so psychoanalytic. It's so, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's interesting that it didn't really stick out to me on my first watch, but that as soon as I watched it the second time, I was like, oh yeah, Freud would love this. God damn, I don't even know how to follow that up, to be honest. I'm just over Sorry, here. Sorry, yeah, a little little soapbox about Freud over here. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. And I'm over here like, this is a great movie to watch when you're high on marijuana. <laughs> yep. Oh, I don't know if you remember. This might be a little too, uh, like, inside for maybe listeners, but I... Uh, I, I remember uh, replying to one of your tweets about Jackass and uh, like about how we discussed Jackass in my theory class. This is what we were relating it to. Like we um, my professor posed the question because we were reading Freud that if uh, we all have we primarily act on Eros, our like sex driver, our will to live that we don't. Like, our primary concern is our own survival. Uh, why would we do things like stunts on jackass? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were talking about, like, the death drive that, like, you know, life sucks. And so we sublimate that death drive into watching people physically torture themselves. <laughs> and that's how we uh, cope with the fact that we can't actually destroy ourselves and and things like that. So, yeah, in case anyone was wondering about the Freudian reading on why people watch Jackass, um, there it is. <laughs> See, and, and that initial tweet was me saying, like, I think we watch pro wrestling, body horror, Jackass, and pornography for the same reasons. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are sublimating a lot of our freudian urges our our inner sex drives our death drive our everything in between that we can't act on we are uh using those things as a surrogate for those urges just like james is doing to his body doubles mm -hmm. also this movie is is basically saying when you got a bad bitch you just got to give in to all your urges no I'm kidding yeah, you just you just got to do whatever she tells you you know you just got to vibe if, yeah if if mia goth tells you to do something you have to do it i guess i mean it's like well i i guess i'm going to steal this car now yeah i guess i'm going to try to shoot these people i don't i guess i'm gonna like pee on this guy i, I don't guess i'm gonna participate in the six person orgy if you insist i do like sure i guess so i got nothing <laughs> else planned this evening um vanna you want to lead us into the musical pairing that you picked for this episode yeah so very difficult to try to pair something like Infinity Pool with anything, but something came to me. The musical pairing this week 
is The Summoning by Sleep Token. So for those who don't know, Sleep Token are a British rock band from London formed in 2016. The group are an anonymous mass collective led by the frontman using the moniker Vessel. And they have been categorized under many different genres, including alternative metal, post-rock or metal, progressive metal, and indie rock or pop. And uh, this song is featured on the album Take Me Back to Eden, which is their third studio album released on May 19th, 2023 by Spine Farm Records. And the album serves as the final part of a trilogy also featured also featuring the group's first and second albums, Sundowning and This Place Will Become Your Tomb. Okay. Okay, I'm a new Sleep Token fan, so you're going to have, like, pretend, like, I'm a newer-ish fan, but for our listeners (laughs) who never heard them, give me the elevator pitch on Sleep Token as a whole. Oh, goodness. I don't even really know how to summarize. Um, They are such a unique mixture of genres. Um, They definitely scratch the like metalcore itch but then they integrate so much pop and like r&b into their music um they have a there's like almost this mysticism about them because they are masked and they are anonymous they kind of um they kind of have this bit going where they I don't know, praise like the god of sleep and they kind of they kind of use their musical act as like worship and things like that. They're they're very um I would say theatrical. Uh some people might say corny. Um but I think it, it's all just part of their they gave of like their deal. I don't know. <laughs> they're like so secretive. They gave like their first ever video like interview or like interview period like very recently like within the last month yeah and they always remain masked like it's uh i know like Corey taylor has talked about how like he thinks what they do is really awesome and he loves that it's like very much uh you know it seems to be like inspired by slipknot um but they don't like unmask like we don't no, like the, it's like a full on thing for fans, like trying to guess their identities and things like that. It's it's a uh, it's kind of wild. Um, the interview is with the drummer and one, they don't take off their mask the entire time Two, their voices disguised through modular like ization. Like it's like those documentaries where the voice is completely disguised even. I love them because something about um, like their music to me, it's like it. I'm not really like a pop person, so it, it definitely like there are moments that lean more heavily into like the metal genre, but they have this kind of like 
seductiveness to the way they sing sometimes. It's very, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. I don't know. It's like for like the sad, horny bitches. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's straight up a moment in uh, Ascensionism, another song by them, where it just kind of, like, kind of just pivots to an R&B song. And I'm like, hold up. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, here? they 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 definitely do that. And then there's like other moments that are much more like ethereal. Like, I don't know. They, they very much just like fluctuate and i think that's like what's kind of fun um they're hard to like pin into one genre so why did you choose the summoning for this what what about it uh speaks to infinity pool i think i'm sure some of their other songs might maybe on like a lyrical level fit but um I don't know, the first thing that, like, really popped out was the name, The Summoning, because uh, the introduction of the Eki masks, uh, the, like, resort employee is talking about how there's a storm coming, and there's this ritual, uh, and it translates to The Summoning. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought, you know, like, on that level, it kind of... That connects it, but also... I don't know, there's there's a few there's a few lines that I think can kind of speak to I don't know this very surreal um hallucinogenic almost like there's there there's like there's a lot of you know like the orgy scenes really like I don't know there's um I don't know it's just got a vibe vibe about it um but like the first the first lyrics like if I want to really connect some of the lyrics to what I think fit with the themes of infinity pool. The first lyrics, it opens with, I've got a river running right into you. I've got a blood trail red in the blue, something you say or something you do a taste of the divine. So like the first couple, like it kind of like a river running right into you. Like there's kind of like this merging and it kind of really makes me think of, this transference of identity like James as a non-person kind of like just running with and letting himself like blend into Gabby and like whatever Gabby wants to wants to do um and this like taste of the divine makes me think of the scene when the you know they uh introduced the Eki gate like this drug that has like a religious element to it um yeah i don't know it's just this very like erotic yet um spiritual experience that james is having in this movie um and then the next lyric is you've got my body flesh and bone and i don't know brandon cronenberg is a body horror guy so <laughs> that uh that's just kind of a few of the things that kind of I think fit them together. Here's the here's something you brought up that I wanted to touch upon, and I kind of like that you brought up that Infinity Pool and the Summoning by Sleep Token have almost this dreamlike state to them. I really love that idea because I have that theory 
I think I told you off the air, and I'm surprised I didn't say it when we were discussing the movie more. I, I guess that's just a mental slip on my part that I have the theory that an infinity pool is all just like an electronic simulation that M put James in to punish him for being a bad husband. <laughs> that would be um something I could see Brandon Cronenberg doing. That's well, for sure. Well, cause you have that moment near the end, right before the dog scene where you see M and she's like laughing at James and he's like wearing this like headset and there's like actors around him also wearing headsets. It's like she took mm, him mm-hmm. and put him inside this own like personal hell, this dreamlike state somewhere between reality and non-existence. And he's just there existing. Yeah. And I think like, obviously tourism is a big, uh, big thing. And like wealth, I think this film definitely touches on like the, the sinister exploitative forms of entertainment that like the 1%, uh, you know, engage in like, it's, it's, a. Uh, I'm sure it's no mistake, you know, a a movie like this comes out about people who can do whatever they want and kill and hurt whoever they want. And they can just pay their way out of consequence Um, with a lot of the current events and legal proceedings that happen to be going around, you know, these other vacation-esque places that very rich people visit, (laughs) Uh, you know. And uh, so tourism, the you know, this whole tourist economy, uh, wealth that all has like a big thing. But it all, I think it also is not just to comment on class and wealth, but like the resort as this like Disneyland-esque fantasy bubble, like this facade of a country. Like you don't get to see the real country. You're in this fake town designed around this resort want you to see the inside of and don't you dare go outside of it (laughs) yeah so while that has very um practical real like there are so many resorts uh that are like that you live in this bubble while people are you know living in horrible conditions just outside or you know, there are people who visit Hawaii while Native Hawaiians don't have water specifically because of the parasitic tourist industry. Like, babes, you're the problem. Like, so it has a very real, tangible, like, connection to our reality. But it also does serve to give it this very dystopian, alternate reality, fantasy it could all be a dream that James is dealing with. Like, you know, like even my reading that it's all about ego death, ego death is typically something people uh, cite having experienced when they do hallucinogens and they basically break their brain. So, you know, it could also be very likely that James is just, he's stuck in his brain and it's forcing him. It's like you said, M might be punishing him like, to make him go through this ego death like that's very uh very possible and it carries over to sleep token where they can make this music to make us feel all these emotions and then disappear behind anonymity 
and get away with it. Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, you know, like, I like that are? the, I know, like, I, I, I like that, like, the, the name of this song itself, like, comes from, like, the connection to Infinity Bowl comes from a scene where they're talking about a ritual called the summoning. And that's a scene where we first see the Eki masks, and this is a masked band. So it, it, see, it all connects. It always does. We always make it happen. We all find our way back inside the infinity pool. Yeah. But there's another part, like kind of like you mentioned, there's a lot of songs that kind of shift into these like more R&B type uh, moments. Like there, there is like a moment in this song where he says, did I mistake you for a sign from God or are you really here to cut me off? Or maybe just to turn me on. Because these days I would be lying if I told you that I didn't wish I could be your man or maybe make a good girl bad. And I'm like, this This is James talking to Gabby. Like, are you a sign from God? Are you here just to fuck with me? Are you here? Like, like the way Gabby messes with James' brain, like, I could see, I could see this exchange happening. <laughs> Hell yeah. Good recommendation, good pairing, all around, good time. Go watch both. I mean, go listen to The Summoning, go watch Infinity Pool, or listen to Infinity Pool. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> what, whatever you're into, I don't judge. Um, Vanna, where can people find you on socials? Uh, you can find me anywhere um at siren death cult uh i don't really post too much anymore but i have my website sirendeathcult.com um and yeah i have a few projects in the works but nothing nothing i can talk about yet um but where can people find you reyna you can find me on any social under the name jfc doomblade I'll post my writings and whatnot there. I also host another podcast called the Slasher Girls Podcast. But you can find this podcast at Carnal EX Pod on Twitter. Um, we're back to our weekly schedule. So thank you for joining us this week for Infinity Pool and the Summoning. Mm-hmm.